Fred, if you're ready, we're ready. All set. All right. All right. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to the uh, April 4th, 2022 Multi-Modal Transportation Commission uh, meeting. We're just going to be holding the study session tonight and then um, deferring the regular agenda items to uh, Monday, April the 18th uh, with the uh, big event going on tonight, championship game. So appreciate everyone for joining us. And I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. So this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Uh, unless you are participating during the meeting, please your, turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, please send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And uh, with that, I think if we could do a quick roll call, uh, Christina, then we'll turn over the meeting to the chair. Yes. Nick Kuzmiak. Here. Althea Schnacki. Here. Douglas Reddy. Damon Baltuska. Here. Aaron Payton. Maybe still loading. I just let her in. We'll come back around. Pat, hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> Pat Collette. Here. Charlie Bryant. Here. And that is our crew. All right. Thanks, Christina. Um, Chairperson Kuzmiak, it's all yours. All right, thanks Dave. Nick Kuzmiak, Chair MMTC. Uh, first check, can any, uh, is everybody able to hear me? I'm kind of using a new headset, so I wanna make sure we're good. All right, sounds good. Um, well, let me bring up the agenda here. So as you all know, we are only doing the study session today and we'll be moving on to the regular agenda on April 18th at 6.15 p.m. So. With that, um, we'll just jump right into it then with this uh, study session, agenda item A. Consider and provide feedback on revisions to the non-motorized projects prioritization policy, or as I like to call it, NMPPP. So um, staff has worked up a whole lot of revisions on the sort of evolving policy, and hopefully you've all had a chance to read through. It's not super long, but there are some interesting changes here and there. I'd like to start with staff kind of giving a brief rundown of what you think are the most important changes. And then from there, maybe open up to kind of clarification questions if there are any and discussion from the commission, if that's okay. So Dave or Jake, do you want to go first here? Yeah, thanks Chair. Uh, this is Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager for MSO. And, and I've also got Jessica here, Mortinger with the with MPO uh, to assist in the discussion tonight. Um, and, and yeah, that's essentially the format um, I have kind of laid out um, a little staff presentation followed by opening up for, for questions and discussion. So 
Um, with that, you know, the purpose of the study session tonight, like you said, is to discuss um, revisions to the non-motorized projects prioritization policy. And uh, most of these revisions that are being proposed have been discussed in the past. Uh, but before I, I jump into those uh, specific revisions, I thought I'd give just a, a quick description of the policy and its purpose as a refresher for everyone. So annually, the city commission allocates funding for building the bicycle and pedestrian network, um, $675,000 this year, um, which is much less than the identified need for these types of projects. So because of this, projects are prioritized uh, to st strategically direct that limited amount of funding. So the policy prioritizes eligible projects uh, based on a scoring system. And then staff annually drafts a five-year plan for spending the allocation using that scoring system, um, which is brought before this commission for recommendation and then the city commission for approval. Uh, now, every year that five-year plan is gonna change a little bit based on different factors, such as the availability of grant funding, uh, direction from commission or policy changes, which again is why we're here tonight. Um, therefore, these changes are really important because they're gonna reprioritize re the project lists, which will then in turn affect the projects that may end up funded with the five-year plan. So with that, um, I've kind of broken down the, the proposed changes into five parts. Um, I'll, I'll enumerate those real quick and then we'll go back and discuss them in more detail. The first is in alignment to existing plans. The second is adding a third project list. The third is removing section 3.3. Um, number four is changes to scoring, um, and the last one is updating section 5.2 and 5.3. So now I'll go back to the beginning of that list, like I said, and then we'll get into a little more detail. So um, the first is alignment with the existing plan, specifically uh, the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan and the Lawrence Safe Routes to School Plan. With the pedestrian plan, um, those recommendations call for the revision of this policy to specifically address equity, um, to add gaps to support access to transit stops, healthy food destinations and parks, to identify crossings and how they're weighted in the pedestrian list. And um, it also calls for updating using the pedestrian access analysis to a pedestrian demand analysis. We'll get into that in more detail as well. Um, it's gonna call for establishing a sidewalk replacement list, more to follow on that one as well. And then lastly, to clarify funding, that funding eligibility uh, may vary by project type and location. So again, those are the recommendations of the pedestrian plan with the safe routes to school plan. It points to integrating crossing improvements in their evaluation. So that was the, the, the first um, uh, part of the revisions I want to discuss. The second part is adding a third project list, which is sidewalk replacements. Um, this is directly um, out of the evolution of the, the city's sidewalk improvement program. So with that program, uh, we inspect sidewalks and, and do spot repairs. But through those inspections, we've also realized that some of those sidewalk segments are in such a condition that spot repairs aren't warranted. And really, it's a full replacement ADA compliance from block end to block end. So it's, it's those sidewalk segments that we can't repair that we want to move into this other list and prioritize along the same lines as our other project types. Number three was to remove section 3.3, which is the call for projects. And, and this really is a, is a result of um, these projects are already identified in their respective plans through a robust community-wide engagement effort um, that was uh, part of those plans and their process. Um, so uh, 
a call for project kind of devaluized the process that the, the public went through through those plans and the projects that, that made their way into that plan. Um, and really any project over $100,000 uh, is part of the CIP process and that process is still open for any projects that are proposed um, by the public. Um, and lastly, the call for projects historically has um, had uh, little or no change on our project lists. Um, and, and really to, to provide more information on that, we, we will provide an update on our 22 call for projects, hopefully um, at a, a very uh, near meeting in the future. Um, and that brings us to number four, which is our changes to scoring. There's kind of a lot of meat to this one. So in, in this part four, we're going to change the priority network scoring from a six to five for pedestrian projects only. Um, we're looking at changing the analysis method to pedestrian act from pedestrian access to pedestrian demand. Um, and this is what I alluded to earlier and really as a result of the data driven process um, that was done for the sidewalk program to produce prioritized inspection routes. Um, simply put, the access is looking at the number of destinations within a certain range of a specific project, whereas demand is going to use a shortest path analysis between origins and destinations to identify routes that have the highest uh, potential for pedestrian demand. The next part of the changes to scoring is safety. It's going to bring that scoring category from a 10 to a 5. And really what that's doing is, is removing the, the component of crossings, which had a, a weight of 5 out. Uh, Miss crossings will be um, scored along with other pedestrian gap projects. Um, and then the last change to scoring was the addition of equity. Uh, it's going to use, utilize the transportation disadvantaged population metric that we've discussed in the past. Um, and would equate to roughly about 25% of the overall prioritization score. And then part five of our proposed changes is updating section 5.2 and 5.3 to align with the five-year plan. This one really is just more of a language change to, to indicate the, the process that we've gone through the last three years through the five-year plan. Um, lastly, I did copy um, uh, uh, the track changes on the document. Um, to the agenda item, so we're really transparent about what what changes are being proposed. Um, and I think that kind of brings me to, back to Jessica. I was going to see if Jessica had anything she wanted to, to add or elaborate on from what I've said so far. Jessica Marger, Transportation Planning Manager. I don't have anything to add at this point, but I'm here and available for the discussion to talk about any of the history with this um, or how it relates to the planning work that we've done. Okay. Thank you, Jessica. Um, so I guess that brings me to the, the conclusions of the remarks that I really had prepared. So going forward, you know, it's our intent to take feedback from the discussion today and bring back a revised policy um, for approval at an upcoming meeting. Um, and so with that, happy to turn it back over to you, Chair, for, for questions and discussion. Okay. Hey, Kuzmiak, Chair MMTC. Thank you, Jake, for the clarification. That definitely helps. Um, at least to my understanding. So I'm going to do my best to guide this discussion in a way that seems to make sense to me. So I'm thinking where we can start since we've had a decent amount of turnover recently and quite a few relatively new members. Um, let's start with kind of an understanding check on if we all are on the same page of kind of what this is. Um, if we all understand the non-motorized project prioritization program, geez, if I understand it, yeah, the NMPPP. And make sure that we know kind of what the history is, how it started, um, 
I guess from my perspective, I'll do my best to kind of fill in at least the past uh, few years. So as I recall, this is the kind of thing that is, is very similar to the community-wide capital improvement plan CIP. And it, it is its own CIP and is wrapped up within the broader CIP. Is, is that right, Jake? Uh, yeah, Jake Baldwin, MSO. Um, yeah, essentially we use this policy uh, to score projects that are going to go into our five-year plan. And that five-year plan allocates the yearly funding for bike and pet standalone projects. Okay. So when the um, when the city's finance department publishes the overall CIP, are these projects included? And it's this prioritization that got them there? Uh, Jake Baldwin, MSO. No, these projects are not included in the published CIP. What is published in the city CIP is project MS-22-8000, which is for the bike, sidewalk, and pedestrian improvement projects. And that's the $675,000 that I alluded to earlier. So when we build that five-year plan, we can look at the five years out in the CIP, add all that money up, and kind of cash flow it through our prioritized projects. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I, I had misunderstood that. So, okay. Um, I want to call on anybody else who had any kind of background questions about this, especially those uh, newer members who may not be as familiar with it. So, floor is open here. I would just like to, uh, this is Pat Collette, uh, Commissioner. Um, I'd like to just make a clarification or ask for a clarification. I think I know the answer to this, but we're talking about the five year plan and that's a rolling plan, correct? So each year it's, you know, 22 to 27 and 23 to 28. So there are some revisions as we as we go forward, right? Jake Baldwin, uh, engineering program manager, MSO. Yes, Commissioner Clut, that's absolutely correct. Um, the staff brings the this uh, five-year plan to commission for approval every year because every year we've got changes to it. Like, like I alluded to earlier, you know, every year it's going to bring different grand opportunities that we historically try to capitalize on. Um, we've got changes to the policy, which are going to, you know, kind of scramble, so to speak, our project list. So, you know, what was in the top 10 last year after these changes may not be in the top 10 this year. And so we may want to look at where that's at in the plan. Does it still deserve to be in the, the five-year out your um, outlaying of the plan or should something else take its place um, it, as well as um, other factors kind of go into that those decisions as well. Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC. Um, I had a question that's kind of similar to that actually and that is I recall in discussions last year the year before that we would look at how the prioritization had scored various projects and basically see a rank list and what that means for you know what's going to get funded in which year but i do remember that there was a little bit of wiggle room um i guess beyond just the, the i don't know the strict rubric of the prioritization like we, you know staff and mmtc kind of collaborate and do our best to get what we think is going to be the easiest way to sort the projects by our priorities but then we look at the actual list and kind of do a gut check and say is this really what we meant to do um, are these really projects that we do prioritize and then maybe the next iteration is going to be kind of looking at the prioritization itself again and see if it can if we can kind of get closer to i guess our values and our priorities is that how you understand it uh, 
Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager, I think that's a fairly accurate description. There's always other factors that are going to play into the projects that go into this plan. Um, for instance, I think a, a year or two ago, a, a commissioner um, asked us for a metric about cost per linear foot to kind of see how much bang for your buck you're going to get on one project versus another. So that's another tool we use to, to help us pull projects out and put in the plan. Okay, thanks for the, for the clarification there. Okay, so since I'm not hearing um, too many more, um, I guess folks jumping in to ask general questions, I think it may be good to kind of go down the the, um, the broad list of what Jacob explained earlier, just the uh, list of the five proposed changes. Did anybody have something they wanted to bring up about the new alignment to the new pedestrian plan and safe routes to school? And by the way, I should probably just pause here. Um, I'm on a kind of a strange webcam screen thing going on, so I may not be looking directly at the gallery. So if you're planning on raising your hand um, and I don't see you for a while, you may just have to speak up because I may be at a different window. So just a fair warning there. So questions, comments on alignment with the pedestrian plan and safe routes. Okay, well, I'll offer my own comment to, uh, I guess, Jessica. So it seems like the, the main change I was able to find is that the, um, I think there was something about initially prioritizing any streets that did not have sidewalks on both sides. And the way that's, that paragraph has kind of been rearranged is that we're now going to have, I think, so local streets with sidewalks on only one side or no sides are kind of way at the bottom of the prioritization, which reflects what the survey showed about what folks attitudes are towards sidewalks is that correct and are there any other examples i kind of missed yeah jessica morton your transportation planning manager i think that's one of the things about the alignment to the ped plan and safer routes to school plan is some of that change in the priority because looking at what the network vision is overall um, in that plan in terms of the recognition that you know both sides of every street is probably unrealistic in the near term and so really prioritizing some of those things the way we had some of those scoring scored I think yielded some results we may not have intended to yield where gaps for safe routes and or other transit park healthy food gaps now just because they're on the other side, if they're about continuity on the same side, they weren't getting scored as high. And so I think that's just a little shakedown um, in how we kind of envision that hierarchy of those projects for scoring, um, kind of based on what we heard also from the community and their prioritization. Um, alignment with those plans also is about what projects are feeding into the lists. So the alignment with the pedestrian plan brings a new set of projects into the list. Um, and, you know, it's working in, co in cohesion and in that same uh, uh, symbiosis with the assumption that this, this updated process will get adopted in a similar time frame as when the uh, pedestrian plan will be in front of you for your consideration. Um, and so really the recognition that that plan calls for a new set of projects in addition to just arterial collector and safe routes to school identified gaps that are gaps around some modeling we've done in relationship to access to bus stops, um, access to parks, and access to healthy food destinations. So um, that's kind of both projects and how they score and rank. Um, there are a few other things that 
the pedestrian plan very specifically calls out in terms of the addition of equity um, in the metric for that. So the addition of um, an equity score related to the transportation disadvantaged block group index that um, we have created and done our analysis on. So it ranks, um, you know, gives a 25% rate weighting to projects that are um, higher transportation disadvantaged population scoring. That's consistent with what we um, did um, when we worked with Jake in developing the revised methodology for sidewalk improvement program also. So it brings equity instead of it just being a tangential, like after the fact, are we considering how equitably these projects are distributed? It directly weights projects based on where we feel like transportation disadvantaged populations um, exist. And if you, when we get into the pedestrian plan, you'll see there's quite a bit of analysis around um, disparity within those blocks groups and looking at every block group and where um, the ratio of sidewalk to roadway um, is less um, than a one-to-one -one kind of as a, a high-level proxy for us to really understand that we we believe there is disparity in some of those block groups and that we could address some of that by weighting some of these gaps um, to the favor of improving mobility for people who um, we perceive to be part of vulnerable populations in our community. So I think thinking about aligning it with the plan, it sounds nice, but it also means all, it means more than just that first scoring system. It means all of these different components um, overarching. So it's, we can talk about any of those individually, um, but I think it's, it's, it's multifaceted. Thank you, Zmiak, MMTC. I, yeah, certainly appreciate the explanation. It sounds like it's a lot deeper than I'd originally had, had seen based on the revisions that are there. So I think it'll be interesting once we do see the next kind of ranking of projects coming in to try to tie that to if it did indeed meet the goals of the pedestrian plan, which I'm assuming it probably did. I trust how you guys do the, um, you know, algorithms and the analysis and everything. So I do look forward to seeing what that ranking will look like. Let's see anybody else on number one still? This is Commissioner Brian. Uh, Brian. I'm curious if the inclusion of the Lawrence Safe Routes to School plan is mostly um, an acknowledgement that the Safe Routes is kind of incorporated into the other plans, or if it's a if it really stands separate. And I guess I'm asking that because the pedestrian plan I thought had already kind of incorporated the safe routes to school work. So just help me understand, is this is this like the purpose statement? Um, sure. Adding that in there, is that mostly just to kind of bring attention to that? Or is it, is it I guess I'm, I don't want to see it be redundant, I guess. Okay. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger. So I think it's important that we specifically list it. Um, you have to remember also that the Safe Routes to School plan also calls for, uh, has some listing of bike projects where they relate to where bike routes align with safe routes. And so I think it's important because remember it was county, wasn't it countywide bikeway plan safe? safe routes, pedestrian plan. And so because those are kind of in an evolution, I think recognizing them all reflects the fact that we may get to an update a safe routes to school plan that may say something different than what the pedestrian plan says because they're all on a, a five-year rotation that's a little bit different timeline. So in my mind, while there are 
while the pedestrian plan does support and align with values that are currently in the Safe Routes to School plan, the Safe Routes to School plan very specifically also has some provisions for what may warrant um, revisions to them like school boundary changes or other things like that where we would want to in those years when that happens go ahead and update immediately kind of that alignment of the projects from safe routes to school specifically that we may not have called out in the pedestrian plan because that may not warrant a pedestrian plan update in that scheme so in my mind it may be perceived as semantics because really safe routes is part of the pedestrian plan but there is an ability for one of them to change without the other one initially changing and them not being on the same rotation makes me think that we should just be very clear about them okay thank you for that explanation akusmic mmtc chair any other comments on the alignment Okay, let's move on to number two, adding the third project list sidewalk replacement. So um, I guess I for one was surprised to see this in here because this is a um, program that's been in place for a few years now. But uh, for those of you who have been, been following it, it's it was originally uh, sector based. And I think the idea was to start with the kind of easiest and most digestible parts of town where the sidewalks were in relatively good condition, kind of get the costs together from there and then start tackling the, mo the more difficult sections of town with I guess, older sidewalks that were in less good condition. So um, it's been going on for what, two, three years now, I wanna say. And I think there's kind of been this ongoing controversy even from the beginning of, you know, should the city pay for it? Should the property owners pay for it? And at this point, it's, it's definitely the property owners are still paying for it if they are able to. There is a, a, a fund to, to, to help out low-income property owners as well as those who have corner lots. Um, and I think anything that is the city's problem in terms of street trees causing issues, um, I think that is covered by the city as well. That's just kind of my brief understanding of the background for those people who are new here. Uh, Jake or Dave or Jessica, feel free to correct me on that. I think I got that right. But um, my main question is, how did this get into the, um, what's it called, into the NMPPP? Is it just for streamlining and efficiency, essentially? This is Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Now, that was a very succinct summary of what's going on, Nick, with the sidewalk improvement program. Um, however, the difference here is um, we got into areas where the sidewalks, we can't do the traditional spot repairs with the sidewalk improvement program. So the sidewalk improvement program is, is its purpose is to re repair tripping hazards, which are spot repairs, a panel here, a panel there. So um, last year, our inspections found a lot of sidewalk segments that had so many hazards in them. It, it necessitates a full replacement. There's no sense economically or um, I guess logically to replay to do spot repairs on every other panel on a sidewalk. You know, we need to tear those out and put in an ADA compliant sidewalk because for the most part, these old existing sidewalks are not going to be compliant, whether it's width or cross slope or ramps or sidewalks through driveways. So essentially we have a whole new type of project because of what our inspections have found. And that program is not meant to be an ADA compliant block in the block and replacement program. Um, so this this change kind of recognizes we've got a new project on our hands and we need to think about how to prioritize and tackle which one of those are, are most important to go after with the limited funding we've got. Now, it's also important to recognize that our 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 
allocated funding for bike and ped projects are not going to go to these sidewalk replacement projects. That that money will still be used for the five-year plan only and standalone new bike and ped facility projects. The, the replacement sidewalk projects that we're going to prioritize in this program, as I think um, we, we pointed out, are, are would be funded through like leftover money from the sidewalk improvement program or other future allocations. Um, so hopefully the through the CIP process, uh, we may have a new project and funding to start going after some of these sidewalks um, that need this full replacement. Thank you, Mac MMTC. Thank you for the explanation. Um, the so it sounds like then with the the it's it's almost like it's a different pot of money that's going to this set of projects. It's just being scored in a similar way to make sure that we're making the most efficient use of resources. Um, do you foresee there being a decent amount of funds left over in a given year for uh, the sidewalk improvement program, or is that program going to be pretty much tapped out and we're going to hopefully rely on grant funding or transfer some of the general fund? I don't know. So again, Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. No, I, I don't really foresee any any funding going to be left over for our annual sidewalk improvement program. Um, we did get in the case where th through the first few years of the program, we did run a surplus or our projects were small enough that we had and we kept rolling it over. So last year we had a little bit bigger of a project. That's not going to be the case going forward. Um, uh, I, we will be at the work session at City Commission tomorrow night. And we've got actually got some numbers on that, that work. Actually, I believe it's on the regular agenda now um, and it talks about the the need is about 5.4 million dollars um, to finish the spot repairs through our lidar analysis um, so really the this i think the funding is this very similar amount to what we've got for bike ped and so uh, you know we can break down the you know that overall cost for a yearly cost it's going to take us to about 2030 to get all those spot repairs done um, so that kind of speaks to the cost of the, the repairs of the sidewalk program. It, it doesn't really speak to what the cost is for the replacement. I think that that number is probably still unknown at this point, but it's going to be a lot larger and probably require a, a different source of funding. This is Commissioner Collette. Um, I have a question about about this and how does how does this uh, differentiate it from the homeowner uh, funded uh, re sidewalk repairs. Which which ones or how are we distinguishing between the two of those? I'm I'm not sure. I, sorry, this is Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager, and uh, Commissioner Clett. I'm I'm trying I'm gonna try to answer your question. If I don't get it, please please ask again. Okay. Um, so. We're still going to try to treat all property owners the same way, whether they're getting spot repairs or they're part of the sidewalk replacement project. Um, so we're going to do an inspection. We're going to determine amount of sidewalk that's in bad repair. And if it's a spot repair project, we're going to send them a bill and invoice for just that concrete that that's fixed. Now, if we go to a block and say, hey, this block requires full replacement, we're still going to rely on that inspection to assess the pro property owner for only the, the tripping hazards that existed previously. They would not be responsible for the entire project. It would just be a very small percentage that, again, treating uh, those property owners the same way, whether in a, a repair or replacement project. Okay, yeah, that, that, that helps me understand that a little better. Yeah, thank you. Any other questions from the commission regarding the inclusion of sidewalk replacement projects? 
this <clears throat> this commissioner Brian, are we are you expecting then that we would see a list of sidewalk replacement projects that would be ranked using this scheme, and then we would have to make some decision regarding kind of um, following that ranking or making modifications to the list. Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Uh, Commissioner Bryan, yes, these will result in a prioritized list and the, the revisions that we've included in the policy um, indicate that staff's gonna bring that list. It basically is a staff update yearly and um, it, it probably is gonna depend on the timing of the inspections and when we can pull that analysis out of the inspections, but it would just show up as a staff update according to the revisions we are proposing. Would this Commissioner Bryan again? So would we have uh, any decision to make on that or would it be just a, you know, informational update? Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Uh, right now it's being framed as just an informational update. I think that the decision really goes into the, the scoring of the policy to, as to how those get prioritized. We would use essentially the same methods we do for the five-year plan to, to look at efficiencies and, and prior, the most important priority sidewalk replacements as well as efficiencies. You know, can we group those into a corridor and do a corridor approach to really get an effective project out of the, the funding? Thank you. Jessica, it looked like you were gonna add something. So I figured I'd give you a shot before we move on. Yeah, and Jessica Moringer, I was just gonna say, I think Jake's right that I think you setting this policy and setting the framework for how we start to tell the community we're looking to make those prioritizations ensures that I think in some sense that we're presenting values to you that were reflected from the community during public engagement from the plans and it keeps it consistent with the priorities that we're setting when we look at like the city strategic plan and our other multimodal plans in terms of prioritizing replacement on highest value infrastructure, you know, highest network based on demand, based on crossings, based on equity, um, and all those considerations that really speak to values. And I hope that when you look at this policy and give us feedback, you're weighing in on those things where really we don't want it to be political in terms of this, this project or that. And everybody will want theirs first, right, in their neighborhood. And so we're speaking to these community values on a system level, trying to understand how we would either as staff or working with you for the, not, you know, as staff for sidewalk replacement, but as working with you for the, all the other components would use these values that you've bought into to score these projects as the basis for laying out a foundation that helps us implement what we believe to be the community's vision. So if, it, you know, if after you see a project list, you say, oh, well, I don't, how did these, you know, you could always ask that question to staff is how did they, how does it score and how did that work? But if it's not consistent with what you see, then there's an opportunity to reevaluate this program and change the values that we're using to make these decisions. This is Commissioner Brian. I, um, thanks for that added explanation, Jessica. I do think, I remember when we went through this revision the last time, it's, it's easier to do once you see kind of what the output looks like in terms of the, the list in its, you know, ranking. Um, and then you see, oh, well, that's not what we hoped, you know, or that's not, doesn't kind of fit with our, what our gut's telling us. So I feel like for now, we probably just need to sit back and wait to see. And then, like you said, as it 
when it materializes, when that's ready, we can review it and kind of give some feedback on, you know, whether the policy needs to be further refined or something. I do wonder a bit about the public's expectation for um, it's, uh, you know, the ability to provide input on that and if it's going to feel a bit not tone deaf, but just um, like if the response will sound like, well, the policy said this, therefore we're doing this and how, how we can just kind of be uh, careful not to make it sound as if this is so black and white. I think what's helpful on the the list that we of the bike and ped projects is that there is kind of a mechanism where we have to make a final recommendation to the city commission. Um, well, and I, and maybe, that, that gives a, like a fail safe there. <laughs> yeah. So let me add this comment because how J, maybe this isn't clear. Okay. So as the each year of the sidewalk improvement, so like Jake mentioned, they still have to do inspections each year for the sidewalk improvement area. So for year four, they're going to choose use that mo the model we created for sidewalk improvement and select the segments that are part of year four. So the only thing that we could even feed into year to the, to that category for sidewalk replacement is the parts of year three that didn't get replaced and didn't get hazards improved. So we're already it's like it's taking the stuff that didn't get done from each year program that has already been prioritized and vetted through that process and agreed to by the commission, right, for sidewalk improvement. And it's taking all the leftovers that didn't happen as that and feeding them into sidewalk replacement. It's not a separate process. It's the projects identified are like the leftovers that come out of that other process that has a public vetting and we've already agreed to say these are the places where we should identify these and repair these hazards but when we got into the program with the hazards we're now saying oh this isn't smart for us to repair these hazards because there's so many of them that we can't go in and replace a segment and not still have enough segments and still have cross slope issues or have other issues that require really to be more logical for us to replace this whole section so I would, I would say it's a little bit of a nuance in the sense that this list is not just, we're not going to go back and run the model and like come up with this. This list will get built of sidewalks requiring replacement and will be a list that's every year added to as that hazard, as the sidewalk improvement hazards locations get addressed or don't get addressed. This is Commissioner Brian. Maybe then it would be helpful to help just remind us then what is the prioritization for the areas of the community that are inspected? Is that done across the entire community, across um, some, you know, segments of the community over time? I know that if that's going to kind of drive these areas where sidewalk replacements may occur, then maybe we need to remind or be refreshed on, you know, is that going to be East Lawrence? Is that going to be North Lawrence? I mean, how does that get determined? So year three, Morgan, Jake's getting ready to start in year four. Year three, that was, we changed the methodology. It used to be just the geographic area in year one or two. Mm -hmm. Year three started looking at that pedestrian demand model. So they're not necessarily, so they're, continuous segments, but they're related to that pedestrian demand and the high level pedestrian demand. And we can, um, Jake, do you want to share that map? Is that helpful? 
you're connected. I can. It, it may take me a few moments to. Okay, to just a that. second. I think I can pull it up too. So my. Okay, I found, I got it. I can share screen. Okay, so I don't have the years selected on here, but this is basically the output from the model. If you remember, we did the, we did, we built a model that's based on the network and it's based on flows. So it took all of the desk origins that could be wanting to go to a destination within certain buffer areas on a walk shed and routed them across the network. So this is millions and millions of trips across the network to create a flow chart basically that shows, and I'm sorry if you can't see the, the highest pedestrian demand in red and the lowest pedestrian demand in green. Also shown on here, you can see is brick sidewalks and they were in blue because at this point as part of sidewalk improvement, they haven't been um, included in the sidewalk improvement program until more brick standards are identified to decide how those are gonna be approached. But this kind of shows you um, where those prioritizations have happened as you look at where the red and orange are. So they're related to where we believe the highest pedestrian demand is based on all those origins and, and destinations, which things like density, um, since we're looking at all the addresses within some of those things, so the density impacts that as well as um, a number of destinations as the, all those trips get piled on. So for every school, we took all the student addresses, we routed them into the school, that's all added into this. We added in for all of those, uh, across all those destinations. We have some documentation we can resend out too. It's on the Transportation Commission's resource page that describes in more detail how we uh, established this. but. When we get to the part of the scoring that's about pedestrian demand, this is what we're proposing moving to, which is a flow-based pedestrian demand as opposed to an area-based pedestrian demand that just shows a, a heat map. So this is Commissioner O'Brien. So then how does this inform the sidewalk improvement program? Okay, so year three of the sidewalk improvement program was the darkest of the red lines. So we took okay. this network and each of those lines has a score. Um, and so you can see on this chart, it's it's really divided across a lot of different colors. It may be hard to see in, you know, from this scale, but we took the highest, highest red score and those were the areas. Um, they took a section of those areas that that was that met the spacing requirements to go in and inspect. And that those are the areas that were inspected. And then is the cost to do the sidewalk replacement that was identified through the year three such that it's going to take 10 more years or eight more years to complete yeah, I that? I think that's an unknown amount of time because there's not an adequate amount of funding Correct. to do that work. So we need to start a list and this scoring allows us to start that list as money, if money is remaining from a previous year a next year sidewalk improvement or if additional resources get allocated. That's part of Jake's conversation that he was mentioning that um, they're going to have with the commission is 
there's a lot more need than we have current resources to fund. And if we truly intend to do this work and work on like an ADA transition plan and for the public right away, it's going to take an additional amount of resources. And we need to begin that list and doing it in the sense that reflects the values that we've done through the, through this other sidewalk improvement program, we felt is the most logical way to do that and keep it consistent with the work we're doing for all of the community in terms of values and um, recognizing that there's a lot to say about demand. And again, this model that you see here, this pedestrian demand, it was, it was weighted um, for transportation disadvantaged populations, the version that we used for the um, for the sidewalk improvement program. So that's an, an example of how you can see, you know, so the areas where we also had um, transportation disadvantaged populations, um, in addition to the demand um, where we would anticipate possibly more uh, populations needing the ability to have mobility and access um, to the pedestrian network at a higher value. Um, there's that waiting there also that was included. Is, the, is it unlikely that new sidewalk replacement projects will be added each year until the current list gets whittled down or are you imagining that we're going to move from the dark red to the lighter colors? I think the goal would be that each year we add all the segments that don't get improved um, with hazard improvement and they the, the, to the replacement list and the re replacement list will continue to grow. Okay. So it will probably, you know, as the years go on and as we get done with all the identification of hazards, that list is going to grow. The need on that list is going to grow. It exists already. It's just we would say as we go through that and that, that the MSO has the opportunity to inspect those sidewalks because right now we have LIDAR data and we think we know what, where some of those are, but really they've relied on it, um, the on-the-ground inspection to determine all those locations for sidewalk improvement. And so that list would just continue to grow. And I think, you know, as we talk about the ADA transition plan, this will be an opportunity for us to discuss, you know, we know there are these areas that need replacement, um, but additionally, there are areas in year one and two that probably have still cross slope issues or there's other ADA issues. And I think this sidewalk replacement list, depending on the work that's done in ADA transition plan work, um, one, it could evolve or two, um, it could really build the foundation already for that plan and process to identify community priorities for um, ADA transition. This is Commissioner Bryan. I think that's all the questions I have for now. I, I, we do have a lot of new people, and so I think it is important to uh, kind of ensure that we all understand the sidewalk improvement program. Um, and it's it seems like we're now addressing elements of that in our uh, non-motorized transportation prioritization project policy. <laughs> I'm sure I got that right. Um, so maybe another study session would be useful to go over that sidewalk improvement program. Thank you, Kuzmiak, MMTC chair. I would say even for the even for those of us who aren't that new, it's still really good to get a a yeah. refresher because sidewalks are just one of the many things that we work on so yeah. um it's good it's good for even me to remember like how does this fit in with what we do elsewhere so thanks for kind of unraveling that thread a little bit uh do we have any other comments on sidewalks or shall we move on to the call for projects all right not hearing any objections let's talk about call for projects so 
Jake, you mentioned during your introduction that this part was um, was omitted from the revisions. Well, the revisions will omit it from the next version. Let's see, because staff feels it devalues community engagement processed. It maybe conflicts and is kind of confusing uh, compared to the broader community CIP. And there's something that you're saying I couldn't quite follow that um, the proposed projects are already prioritized elsewhere. So I may need you to go over those again just to make sure I fully understand what the uh, rationale was for this. Sure, Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager, and I may rely on Jessica here a little bit because she's the one who you implemented these these plans and took them through the process. Um, but but really, those plans uh, had a like I said a really robust community engagement process to to build those plans and the projects that are listed within the plans. So to to have a, a call for projects outside of that that may uh, supersede you know, the work that was done previously kind of devalues that process and the, the work we did with the community to, to build those plans. And uh, I, Jessica, again, I'd, I'd probably throw it to you to see if I worded that correctly. Yeah, so I think that reflects it pretty truthfully. I think, you know, through the adoption of our plans, we've recognized some significant need across all of our modes, right, for projects to build some what we perceive as to be some of the priority networks um, for projects. So when we do a call for projects, it's also really, I think, confusing sometimes to the public um, because they see it as a call like we don't know what we're going to do tell us what projects you want to see and the reality is the result of most of the projects in that that are submitted are one they're either on the network already so they're on a bikeway network or they're on a pedestrian network um, whether it's a priority network or not we've probably identified them as gaps so there are very significant lists, but we also can't expect the public in the same vein when we ask them, hey, look at all of our hundreds of projects and then tell us ones that you may want that aren't on this list when we can't, we don't even have the resources to get to those projects um, in the near term when they've been vetted through a longer, more robust process. And so I think that recognition is just to find a balance on what's appropriate in terms of doing a call for projects when you're asking something from people that I'm not sure it's realistic for people to, you know, to you, they give you a project that's already in the plan. It may or may not be prioritized. We're not responding to all those individually. So the tr it's like the idea of when, at what point you ask people for um, their input and the ability to, to change something in terms of priorities. Then we have other projects that get added to the list that may or may not have that like create a separate line than just the plans approval process. So we kind of have some challenge, I think, dealing with that as staff and trying to reconcile that difference. The reality is really the most of it is people submitting projects that are already planned, but may not score in the top height of the project. So they're already on the list. Um, and maybe that's a reflection of, you know, just changing priorities um, or different demand. If projects are over $100,000, they still have the ability to request them as part of the CIP process. Um, and people have funded projects that way outside of the bike ped money, which is very specifically tied in alignment to the plans. Um, and so that's kind of where this comes from. Um, I'll be interested to hear what you think about that and we can talk um, about that. I'd like to open the floor on this one. Um, I wanna hear others ideas here first. This is Commissioner Bryan. Um, this one concerns me, but I, I was also struggling to understand 
if this is really within our, like, I guess I don't, I didn't understand if we're doing something different from the citywide CIP process. And it felt like when this call for projects was first introduced, it was part of a citywide effort. Um, and I would assume that if that is going away, then it would go away for our subset of um, relevant work. So is this, are we doing something different than the broader CIP call for projects? This is my question. Yeah, this is Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. So our, our call for projects specifically asks for non-voterized projects that do not appear in our current plans. So that, you know, we had a lot of links to a lot of information in that call for projects to basically try to point people to, Hey, look at these plans. Look at these maps. If you if you see something we're missing, let us know. Um, and, and that is completely separate from the the capital improvement plan call for projects. And, and okay. again, they've got a you know a hundred thousand dollar threshold on there. And as Jessica pointed out, that's a, a good avenue um, for for folks to ask for projects that are higher dollar value. All right. Thank you, um, this Commissioner Brian. So it sounds like we were providing just an, other, an additional way for people to weigh in on our project list. Is that appropriate interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I think people, I don't know if people interpreted it the way it is already, which is like always that we already have a list of projects that come out of our plans. And so when they see it, they just say, oh, bike ped projects. And they type a list of all the bike ped projects that they maybe want. Not and. And I know in the most recent year of the call, we worked to reword it to try to be more clear, like here's already the prioritized projects. Is there something not in this? But there still could be things in the bikeway plan that still weren't prioritized when we know we can barely touch one one hundredth of the, pro you know, the projects on that list. And so is it really truthful to the public to give that opportunity when the reality is we've set very clear expectations to based on community values identified in the plan to prioritize a primary network in all of these cases. So. Yeah, I, I think I, I appreciate the explanation. I think this one, um, just that explanation kind of shifts my thinking on it. Nick Kuzmik, MMTC Chair. It's almost six, and I want to do a process check real quick here. Um, I also have some thoughts on this, and I think others may, and I know we still need to get to public comment, and there's two more items on this list. I think number four may actually take some discussion. Uh, Dave, were we planning on going just till six or till 6.15? I honestly forget. Yeah, uh, we're planning on going to 6.15, but if we need to go a couple extra minutes, we, we can do so if it will be beneficial. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, let me just quick kind of see what we can do here. So just uh, kind of zooming out here, looking back at the five proposed changes in general, um, unless anybody has any specific comments uh, about the alignment with the five-year plan, I'm thinking we can probably kind of skip over um, any discussion of number five. Any objections there? Okay. Um, as for number four, the changes to the scoring, um, I don't personally have any objections or any comments. I feel like what staff has done really makes a lot of sense based on what we've been talking about the last few years. Um, does anybody else have any comments on number four? Sorry, this is kind of a backwards way to do this. But. 
So this Commissioner Bryan, I'll just say quickly, the difficulty with understanding four is without seeing kind of an example of the, the you know, the prioritization, um, it's, I mean, it all looks good, but until we see it, it's just harder to understand it. And I think, I don't know, it's been a couple of years maybe since we did this where we didn't like the list as it was generated and we kind of gave feedback and then there was a change to the policy that kind of made the school, the safe routes to school things were um, given a little bit different ranking. And so that helped. I think we all felt more comfortable with the outcome at that point. So this feels similar, like it looks good. I need to see the list. So maybe that's something we just keep in mind until we get to that point when a list is ready for us. It coos me, I come to TC chair. I agree. Sorry, Jessica, are you going to say something? No, I just said, I think we're at the point in the process. We want to get buy into the concept of what we're going to propose before we mm -hmm. invest a bunch of time in doing some of the modeling work that's required to support these changes to bring something back to you. So I definitely think the next time you see this, not only will you have the text, but you'll get to see the maps that go with it and the scoring um, and how that how that plays into this. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay. Um, any other comments on changes to scoring? So this is Commissioner O'Brien. I, I do want to um, point to the area that uh, the letter from Michael Allman uh, indicated 4.2 on the bikeway, bikeway prioritization criteria, the community service centers. The description um, indicates primarily retail employment centers. And that seems uh, quite a bit different from what I found in the pedestrian area where it does call out certain specific like public government institutions, health daycare, higher ed, nonprofit, retail. And I would just wonder why, the, why it's not consistent. Like, is there something different with bicyclists that would make them not so have something similar to the pedestrians? Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. One, uh, that's how that's how it is in the bikeway plan. And so I'm gonna have to dig into that a little more because I went to look and why we decided on that rationale. I wasn't able to reach out to our GIS staff in time to have that conversation, but um, we're not proposing changing that. That's what's in the 2019 version. Um, I can show you what that map looks like um, based on approved if that helps. Um, you kind of see that that map is not based on a line file of bikeways. Let's see if it's going to load. Look, it has no color. Is it loading any color? There we go. Yeah, there it is. There we go. Okay, so you can see all the buffers of those polygons, and I'm not sure if it was based on how the spatial geography was created for some of those, that they're not points, that they're built more like... Um, Tazes like in our traffic analysis zones. So I'm I'm not sure. I have to follow okay. up, but we're not proposing changing this from what's already adopted um, in the 28, 2019 version that you did. So I was yep. surprised to see that comment mainly because we're not proposing changing it, and that's been consistent with what we've had since 2019, which yeah, is based on this basically, this score breakdown um, based on that pedestrian demand or the bikeway demand model, excuse me. 
this is Commissioner Bryan. I recognize there wasn't anything redlined in the in that section, so it doesn't suggest that you're trying to make a change to it. But I do wonder if there's um, if that's an area that maybe just needs some further thinking. Not necessarily like in the next month, but like as you continue to you know evolve the policy, maybe it's something that's more consistent with the pedestrian demand model or something. Yeah. We can dig back into that. I'm a little hesitant to relive that in between <laughs> the bikeway plan. Um, just because of capacity, uh, this is a pretty separate, sophisticated model that that we updated for the countywide bikeway plan. Um, and right. we don't update this besides every five years. So it's a feeds into your scoring, but the wouldn't necessarily change because we're not updating this model necessarily as as built. It's kind of a point in time model that we've developed um, now twice when we've updated the bikeway plan the last two times. So it's not really in our workload to update until we get to the next update of the bikeway plan in a few years. Fair enough. All right. Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC. So in the interest of time, here's what I propose. I think we should go to public comment real quick. Um, take maybe five or six minutes because I have a feeling both Michael and Gary are going to want to give a comment here. And then from there, I want to bring it back to the commission and discuss the rest of number three because I have a feeling their comments will have a bearing on that. So um, I guess has anybody signed up? We'll go with whoever is officially signed up first. Yeah, Dave Cronin, we didn't have anyone officially sign up. We've got a couple members of the public that are on Zoom. So if okay. anyone wants to comment, feel free to um, unmute. And Sounds I, good. I see Michael, Gary. Um, Michael, I saw your hand is raised, so I'm going to go with you oh. first. And um, I'm going to try to keep it to three minutes as best as I can because I know we're running out of time. Um, and we do have reading materials from you as well. So. That's the backup. So anyway, yeah. Michael, please go well, ahead. Uh, thank you, Mr. Kuzmiak. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'll try to be brief because of the time constraint. Uh, first of all, I, I, I want to apologize for paragraph one that I didn't understand. This was uh, just a review that it'll come back for actual action at a later meeting. So um, uh, Mr. Cronin explained that to me later. But my second paragraph has to do with the call for projects. And I don't personally find it relevant that there was a robust community process already that listed hundreds of projects. That's great. I participated in that. If there are new projects that come along that weren't in that pro process before, they may devalue some of those earlier projects because maybe they're of higher value. I mean, anything in this whole process is relative to each other as far as value goes. And so if the public submits something, it's gonna be reviewed and scored and it'll fall into the process where it falls into the process. There's no reason to exclude the public from suggesting something. And I just wanna point out that the projects, the five projects that uh, I sent around to the commissioners because the, um, Lawrence Listen's process got truncated early and I wasn't able to submit them. It closed before the deadline. So I sent it to you all individually by email. Um, 
for example, the electric vehicle street sweeper to keep bicycle lanes clear. That's totally new. That's not one of the 100 projects. Um, the uh, center line in all these shared use paths, that's a completely new project. It has nothing to do with, with um, projects that were already in the list. It's totally new. And if it has its own value, it has its own value. The public should not be restricted from submitting something. Another good example, um, the Atchison Creek Trail that we submitted last year, that for, that's a good example of something that is very uh, time sensitive. That yes, it's on the secondary bicycle network and we haven't finished the primary bicycle network, but there are over, um, overarching reasons why it should be moved up on the list because if Evergy puts in 20 feet of dirt that blocks that path and KU doesn't want to participate in it, the whole project is, is uh, dead. So that has to happen in a timely manner. So there are all kinds of reasons why new projects can logically be included in this process. Um, that's really all I need to say. I do want to comment though that on uh, section 4.2, the bikeway prioritization criteria on page eight, that doesn't include the library or the courthouse or hospitals, it just says retail employment centers. Sure, you, the staff is not considering at this time adding that and, and amending that. That's the problem. That's the problem. We're suggesting that it is included in the revisions. So let's let's not be be backward thinking and 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 double talk here. Uh, I don't. I I recognize that staff is not suggesting that. That's the problem. So that's that's all I need to say. And I sure appreciate your your interest in this. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Gary, were you gonna? Do you comment as well? You are muted, by the way. Gary, you're hey. showing up as unmuted, so I don't know if it's something with your audio or not. Okay, how's this? There you That's go. It. Good. Sorry, it was a microphone switch. I want to second Michael's concern about, about eliminating um, additional public submission of non-motorized projects. I concur, I, I, you know, um, I, I think the people who use the network have pretty good insight into into what improvements need to be made and new ones that weren't thought of by the first group of people developing the plan. I, I appreciate the plans and all the projects they generate. They, I think they're, and I understand how only a few of them are really gonna get done anytime soon, but it doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that additional projects submitted by the public don't have value. And if they're repetitive, you just eliminate them. And if they don't score well on the prioritization plan, you just put them low on the list. But you might get one that surprises you that ranks extremely high, that turns out to be something you needed was not on the plan. And also the plans are addressed every five years, four years. So you've got to wait five years before anything new is going to happen on that list and things may change in the community and, and uh, new things happening in the, in, the, in the United States and the world that, that are solutions to problems we didn't have before that might be appropriate to put on that list. So I, I want to support Michael's feeling that I, I would like to see 
ability for the public to submit projects to remain. The other thing is, I, I got to say, it's a little discouraging to see us generating a whole new list of sidewalk replacement projects that have no funding. You know, I, I was really hopeful that sidewalk repair would would just move through our community in 20 years and we'd have nice sidewalks. But the farther we get into it, the more we find that that it's it's never going to happen. We're just going to plink away at it. And, and you know, I, I understand, I guess, the concept that a, a block is so bad that patching won't work. I guess I understand that. But then to put it on a list and, and turn away and never look back and without an effort to find some funding, I, I just hate to see uh, lists made that'll never be addressed. I, you know, I'd rather see repaired sidewalks and lists never be addressed, but that's just me. I, 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 the whole concept of a block so bad it has to be replaced is a little problematic for me because you have, let's say one side of the street, you have eight houses on a block and those eight houses, uh, there's only parts of it that can be attributed to the repair program, but but a bunch of driveways have bad side slope and the ends are require stairs that are not possible and and it goes up and down and there's topography problems. Well, in the end, if we were to do that project, if we happen to find $100,000 to do a full block of sidewalk, everybody on the block would get new sidewalks and yet only two or three of them who had repair possibilities have to pay for that. That doesn't sound fair to the people who have to repair their sidewalk that someone else gets a whole new sidewalk in front of their house without having to pay for it. So I, I'm, it's a little, it doesn't make complete sense to me about this. They're so bad, it takes a whole new sidewalk, so we can't do them anymore. They're too expensive. So I, I guess that's the reality, but I'm really disappointed that that's the way we're going with some of these blocks. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I see a lot of repaired sidewalks in my neighborhood and in adjacent neighborhoods, and I'm really, really glad to see them happening. After so many years of disregard, it's it's glad to. See, I'm just so happy to see the city uh, doing something to repair our sidewalks. And so, thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. So, I think that there's a couple of uh, points in those two comments, as well as the rest of number three that we haven't gotten to yet that I'd like to address if we can in the few minutes that we have left. I wanted to start with just a general comment around the idea of generating lists of bad sidewalks that are unfunded currently. I can agree that there is at least an apparent element of unfairness in that if your sidewalk is so bad, then you get out of having to pay for it yourself. And I'd be curious to hear how staff um, responds to that one. But I think the general idea of having a list of bad sidewalks is maybe not a bad thing, even if we don't have the money right now. Um, when applying for grants, a lot of times you need uh, kind of like a list of shovel ready projects that you already know what the cost is going to be and who they're going to affect. And I think having this list kind of in the city's metaphorical back pocket could actually really come in handy with the upcoming, um, I guess, infusions to local governments coming from the feds like, like ARPA and Build Back Better and whatever else is potentially going to come our way. So I I have hope that doing this kind of like uh, build up work is potentially going to serve us well in the long run when our expert grant writers are able to uh, leverage that and possibly get some money to make up for the decades that we didn't do this stuff. So, um, Jake and Jessica, or Dave, do you all want to address anything else? 
Uh, this is Jake, engineering program manager. I can address a couple of those. So um, number one, when we do full block replacement for sidewalks, those sidewalks that were hazardous, those property owners are going to be responsible for that. So they would not be getting that for free. But again, we're going to, it goes back to the, the question I tried to answer for Commissioner Collette and that we want to treat uh, property owners the same, whether in a repair or a replacement project. And then um, number two, uh, for funding these replacement projects that are going to get put on a new list, we are going to go to commission with the CIP project to start establishing funding for those. So it won't be a list that just hangs out in limbo. Hopefully we can um, get the funding provided for those and then begin tackling those priority replacement sidewalks. Uh, sorry, Jake, can I um, get some clarification on that? Because that's an interesting point you brought up that I didn't even think of. So if the property owners are still on the hook for repairing the, their sidewalks, is the point of the funding um, I guess the reserve of the funding for those projects, is it basically any deficiencies that the owner's funds can't actually cover? So say you have some low income folks on the block or maybe some of those are corner lots or some include tree roots. Like, is it basically to make up the the, the remainder of the project cost that wouldn't have been covered by the property owners? Is that what that fund is for? Uh <clears throat> Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. I'm not sure I, I understood the question completely. Um, the the when we I guess number one, part of the reasons we have to replace these these sidewalks from block into block in is driven by ADA compliance. So you'll you'll see that come forth with the the ADA transition plan for the public rights of way, where it's going to spell out that you know. The, the spot repair of sidewalks are really the first step. It's the band-aid to the problem. And, and that you're allowed to do that to a certain threshold, and then you really need to replace it from, from block into block in and, and establish a compliant pathway. Um, okay. But when it comes to the cost of those projects, the, the city really is going to cover that cost to make it ADA compliant. Again, the property owner, he may have a, a three-foot wide sidewalk and only one square is bad. Well, he's only going to have to pay to have the concrete redone for that one single three-foot square of concrete. He's not going to have to pay for the drive getting reconstructed to ADA compliance. As, as I can't remember which commissioner pointed out that, you know, you, you've got a lot of problems there with the driveways. Okay. Thanks for the clarification. Um, Gary, hopefully that answers your question. It certainly clears it up for me. Um, was there anything else that was going to be addressed? I feel like there's a couple points here. Um, I think the inclusion of public projects, um, the concern I had was kind of similar is that these these particular projects, the sustainability action network put forward, aren't really covered by any kind of neat bucket. It's not like they really fit into the priority bike network or safe routes to school. They're honestly, I mean, that they're almost kind of unclassifiable in terms of where they would go in these things. So would, I guess I'm curious, Jessica, how would you address sort of more unique projects like this? Do they go directly to the city CIP or is there still a place for them? I think that's a good question because I'm not even sure how some of them, if they're not point or line projects like we have in the model, could be scored equivalently to the projects that you have. So I think that would have to that's going to have to be a conversation about where the appropriateness of those go. Maybe Dave or Jake have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say we'd have to review the details of it, but it may be more appropriate for the CIP uh, consideration overall. If it's especially if it's equipment or uh, projects like that, it might be more appropriate to be scored with, you know, other, you know, all the other CIP projects and not scored and, and take funds out of the bike ped program itself so 
Um, it might be helpful for us to review those here in between uh, when we bring this back and maybe look at the list and see if there's uh, what value there could be in continuing the call for projects and what projects we uh, got uh, received during this last call that we just closed here in, in March. So we might be able to do that and bring that back and that might be helpful for all of us. Commissioner O'Brien, um, so I looked at those, and every one of them is greater than a hundred thousand. So I guess I'm. What, this is where I'm a little confused, and I think maybe the the our policy should should re remove this because it seems to generate confusion. If the city has a process in place to allow the public to weigh in on the CIP uh, over, you know, this is an annual process, then by all means, you know, anybody in the public can do that. If we want to create an additional mechanism for input, um, it, it needs to be really clear that this is separate from the city's CIP process. And I would wonder, you know, if, if, if what we're doing is feeling too similar to the city's process, then we need to come up with a, another mechanism. You know, maybe it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a way we can annually request um, review of the projects and some kind of public input on those projects, which might include identifying things that don't seem to be on our list. But that's separate from the CIP process. Excuse me, MMTC Chair. Yeah, Charlie, I think we're kind of thinking along the same lines here. So. Dave, I certainly appreciate the offer to kind of comb through those requests a little bit um, in more detail and kind of see what would the answer be if we were to strike the call for proposals from the NMPPP. Um, because I certainly want to be respectful of staff's limited time and resources in basically dealing with, you know, dozens of projects that are either redundant or already covered or something, um, but still get those unique projects that don't really fit into any particular category. So if we can strike a balance. I'll, I'll be curious to see what you come up with um, and what your ideas are on that. So uh, so we're sitting at 620. Any other, I guess, last minute comments, questions that you have on this before we close up shop? I feel like we made a lot of progress personally. <laughs> it's, um, it's good to keep attacking this NMPPP and see if we can make it the best it can possibly be. And like Charlie said, once we see those projects after Jessica and her team do all the modeling, then we'll see what, you know, what comes of it and what the next steps are. And it's just going to be a continual work in progress. Always improving. So, well, with that, thank you all for your participation um, and staff for your work in the background on this and public for chiming in. Really appreciate everybody here and rock chalk. Let's, uh, meeting is adjourned. Let's Thanks go everybody. Meet up North Carolina. Rock chalk. See you on the 18th.